Good morning, church. My name is Yosef. For those who do not know me, I'm one of the pastors at ERBF. I'm humbled before God to preach today, but I also hope that God bless me too. As Paul mentioned, lest after preaching to you, I myself should be disqualified. This sermon basically is um, related to this particular verse that I read. As you see, we are going to study what it means to live in sync with the gospel. But first, let's watch this video together. If two pendulums are hanging from the same beam, they start moving in the same way. We all know that it is not that easy to synchronize. Our own life experience shows that all people, whether believers or non-believers, struggle to live in sync with one another or in relation to our faith, to live in sync with the gospel. Let us pray before, before starting the word of God. Heavenly Father, blessed be your name, Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. I also want to say thank you, Father, to our worship team, and we are thankful, Father, for our worship pastor, Ariel, who leads your church in worship. Father, please forgive our shortcomings. As we are reading Paul's letter to the Galatians, Lord, please give us insight to understand better why Paul wrote this letter to your children in Galatia. Father, we pray as a church to help us to have insight as we are hearing your word and let us to submit to you and obey your word, which is authentic and helps us to live in sync with the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. I believe when Paul wrote this letter, he was very passionate about it, though somehow frustrated. As we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul expressed his frustration by confronting the Gentiles, the, the Galatians embracing a different gospel. Let's take a few minutes to remind ourselves about the background related to the believers in Galatia. We all heard that Christianity's movement began its message, uh, Christianity's movement began in Jerusalem within the Jewish community. But from the beginning, its message was for all humanity, as we read in the book of Acts chapter 2, that God embraced people and shared his word in their own native languages, Parthians and Mits, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. So all the Jews and non-Jews heard God's word and were amazed. This happened when the apostle Peter 
stood among them and preaching the word of God. And 3,000 people believed and received the Holy Spirit and were born again. And by Paul's time as a missionary, many believers were non-Jews, as we just read in the book of Acts. And it seems, and it seems tension rose among Jew and non-Jew believers. What was this tension? It was that Jewish Christians focused on their own belief system and set themselves apart by practicing the commandments of the Torah, like the circumcision of males, eating only certain foods, and observing the Sabbath. Most Jewish Christians believed that non-Jews could only be accepted in God's family or, or become Christian if they obeyed the Jewish laws. Therefore, some Jewish Christians couldn't tolerate living in harmony with others or love others as Christ loved them. So it happened that some of these Jews were in Galatia and demanded circumcision of all non-Christian Jews, non-Jewish Christians, and that's why Paul was frustrated and brokenhearted. So in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21, let's see what Paul is talking about. Paul says, uh, Paul says, uh, but when Cephas, which is an Aramaic name for the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed Peter to his face, because Peter stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drove back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step or in sync with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For, for if I rebelled what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, life I now live in, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." So it seems Paul opposes Peter and talks about justification. But before we study why Paul opposes Peter and talks about justification, I would like to point out some keywords and phrases here in Paul's letter that, that will help us to understand better this passage. The first keyword is the apostle. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which simply means a messenger. But the majority of the occurrence of this term in the New Testament are references to the 12 disciples whom Jesus sent out. It also means someone sent out. Paul made a case in chapter 1 that, this, that his apostleship and his gospel were not from men, 
but had come to him by revelation in order to emphasize that he was sent out by Jesus to proclaim the gospel. Therefore, Paul's word to Galatia is the word of God and not his. The second key word is the apostle Peter. Why it is important because in verse 11, Peter, who was an apostle, didn't act according to the message of God in this incident and stood condemned. Another word is circumcision, which reminds us of all kinds of rituals in our own lives, traditions, and cultures. Also, the word hypocrisy. Of course, not all our behaviors, rituals, traditions, and cultures are hypocritical, but it is wise to distinguish between sin and our traditions, rituals, behaviors, and cultures. Remember that the Apostle Peter and other believers acted hypocritically so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We also see the word force, which is used a couple of times in this letter and in this passage. Verse 14 says, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And finally, the word justified. Verse 16 says, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So today we are going to focus on why the Apostle Paul opposed the Apostle Peter and what Paul meant by being justified through God's grace and not by the works of the law. You know, the Apostle Paul opposed the Apostle Peter because the truth of the gospel was being compromised. Peter's apostleship story helps us to understand that no one is above God and his word, not even an apostle. So our position, tradition, culture may sound good, but they also can lead us astray if we do not approach humbly before the word of God and love one another. Paul's letter also shows how God patiently walks with his children in the journey of their faith, their lives, like what we see in the life of Peter, and helps them to love God and love one another. Let's continue with the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 revealed that there were some self-described Jewish Christian in Jerusalem who attempted to force Titus, a Greek Christian, to be circumcised. In verse 5, Paul the Apostle resisted giving in this, into this pressure that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In verse 16, Paul states that the person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Under those circumstances, if Paul had agreed to the demand that Titus be circumcised, the gospel validity would have been compromised. Without God working through Paul in this case, you and I couldn't have learned the truth of the gospel. The global mission would have failed, and Christ's death would have been in vain. So Paul opposing Peter helps us to understand how vital the importance of living in sync with the gospel is. And Paul's letter also speaks to crucial issues facing the church today too. Every day in our lives, we experience the tension between the world and our faith. The tension between man and woman in the church, husband and wife, parents and children, children and parents, between youth, young adults with older people or vice versa. So I'm learning how difficult it is to live in sync with the gospel and with one another. You know, it's tough to live in sync 
because we are with the world and the truth of the gospel is often foreign to us or else we misunderstand it. It seems we tend to force our ideology and beliefs to others on others so that they will be in sync with our thoughts and behaviors. Or sometimes, sometimes we forget that we need to live out our salvation and not just have knowledge of it. So we do not know how to approach issues in life. And like Peter, we fail to love God and others. History shows that men and women are surrounded by superiority, racism, hierarchism, and many other negative things that prevent people from being in sync in a way that they can love God and love one another. Even Christians can struggle in these areas. Here in this passage, it seems the presence of the circumcision party and eating certain food caused an issue among believers. The circumcision party were Judaizer or proponents of Jewish practices within the church, the circumcised member of the church. It seems that the circumcision party got this information probably, probably from the book of Genesis chapter 34, verse 15 and 22, and that became part of their tradition, culture, and identity. Dinah, the daughter of Leah and Jacob or Israel, was raped by the son of Hamer, the Hivite. Jacob's sons were angry. In order to keep the peace, Hamer spoke with Jacob to allow his son to marry Dinah. But Jacob's sons said to them, we cannot give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. And you can marry our sister only on this condition, that you be circumcised like us. And about food, why, Paul, why, why would Peter and Barnabas stop eating meals when non -Jews, with non-Jews when other Jews showed up. A search for food laws in the New Bible Dictionary leads us to our answer. Food laws were distinctions that reminded Israel of her special status as God's chosen people. Jews faithful to these laws would tend to avoid Gentile or non-Jewish company in case they were offered unclean food to eat. Because of the pressure of Jewish culture that wished to maintain their distinct status as Jews, Peter sacrificed church unity. So you see how some Jewish people force their ideology on others? But, but can you find in your own life some examples of how you force your traditions, cultures, and ideology on others? In scripture, Sarah, Abraham's wife, couldn't bear a child. And even when God promised to give them an offspring, Sarah disbelieved. Then Sarah forced Abraham to sleep with her slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Abraham failed too. Then Sarah, probably out of jealousy, forced Abraham to get rid of Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked down on me with contempt. May the God judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarah, your slave girl is in your power. Do with her as you wish. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her and Hagar ran away from them. Sarah didn't force her ideology, but forced her disbelief on Abram. And Abram failed too. 
You know, when I came to Canada, I was not a believer, but, but I was wearing a cross with Christ on it. I received that cross as a gift while I was in Iran. After I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I, stole, I still wore that cross. But one day a worship leader in our church approached me and said that if I want to be in the worship team, I should not wear that cross because it's an idol, was too Catholic, and it didn't represent our faith. I knew in my heart that I truly believed in Jesus, and that cross for me was just a symbol of God's love, suffering, forgiveness of my sins, and victory over death. Though I liked that cross which was reminding me of good things about God, my family, my hometown, and my difficult journey as a refugee, I couldn't wear that cross while I was in that church. We all have tendency to force our cultures, tradition, and ideology on each other. And sometimes, sometimes we judge one another when someone opposes us. With respect to where we are and who we are, it's true humility, grace, and understanding the truth of the gospel that we can understand how to live in sync with God and others and how to approach issues in life. When we reflect on how Paul approached Peter and his failure in this manner, his approach may seem harsh, but, it, but in reality, it's humble and, and to the point. Paul wants to help Peter and others acknowledge their failure and live in sync with the gospel and with one another. You know, to live in sync with the gospel, these two approaches probably won't help, at least not on their own. First, we, can, we cannot turn ourselves and church members into good followers overnight because it takes time to change behavior patterns that are so deeply rooted. And second, it's questionable if more leadership skills or training programs will help. Many churches have tested many things and their leaders and people are exhausted or have failed. So what can we do or what have we missed in regard to thinking with the gospel? I think first we need to understand the importance of the gospel. Based on what we learn from Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Paul says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. When Paul defended the content of his preaching, he doesn't talk about doctrines at all. He simply wrote, my gospel is correct because of where it came from, from Jesus Christ. And second, in order to live in sync with the truth of the gospel, we need to live out the truth of the gospel. There is no doubt that Paul and Peter both agreed with the truth of the gospel, but one failed to live it out. The conflict in verse 11 to 14 happened because of Peter's behavior, not because of a deep difference in their theology. So your behavior matters no matter how deeply you understand theology, what your degree is, or how talented you are. If your behavior is not in sync with God, you are not going to be in sync with the Word of God. We need to know that we cannot divorce the truth from our behavior. If you look at this cross, you can see basically what is the truth of the gospel. 
It was this approach that enabled Paul to confront the burning question of the Galatians, which destroyed their unity with Christ and one another, the relationship of the Mosaic law to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A New Testament scholar, Scott McKnight, says that Paul challenged the Galatians' mistaken understanding of the law. I think we need to understand that we have different laws when we approach Christianity. We have the law of sin, we have the law of the Spirit, and the law of Christ. I want to emphasize that our behavior is supposed to be in line with the law of the Spirit and the law of Christ, which shows that we are living in sync with the truth of the gospel. About the law of Christ, about the law of the Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 2 and 4 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But sometimes, sometimes we tend to live like loving one another is not so important, as long as we have correct doctrine as Peter had. It is essential to know that, that Jesus didn't come on earth just to save us. He came to give us a new law, his law, which is to love the Lord our God and our neighbors. Our God, to put us back in line with the law of Christ, gave us the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit is given to us in order to help us to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death, and now we are subjected to the law of Christ instead. That is why Paul opposes Peter. Peter's fellowship with Gentile believers helps us to understand why our behavior must be in line with the law of Christ. Peter was, ad Peter was addressed in this way. In verse 14, Paul reminds Peter that he was, just, he, was, he was a Jew, but living like a Gentile. We read in the scripture that Peter was enjoying the freedom of the gospel, like Gentiles did. He was not requiring that Gentile believers become Jews and get circumcised and keep the ceremonial laws. But he realized even as a Jew, he was freeing Christ to become, as it were, a, a Gentile. If we turn our Bible to the book of Acts chapter 10, we see that Peter acknowledged that God's salvation is global. God granted Peter new behavior and belief and new commandments to love all whom God created. Acts chapter 10, which is before Peter's failure in Galatians chapter 2 says that God called Peter to share the gospel to a Gentile named Cornelius. But first, Peter refused to go because the history shows that, that Jews didn't go to the Gentiles' house or eat with them, for they considered non-Jews an unclean people. To prepare Peter to go to a Gentile, God gave Peter a vision in Acts chapter 10, verse 11 to Acts chapter 11, verse 18. A sheet was lowered from heaven with all kinds of animals that the Old Testament pronounced unclean which we can see in the book of Leviticus chapter 11. Then a voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, 
Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice came back, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Then God invites Peter to go to Cornelius, and it happens that the Spirit already talked with Cornelius, a non-believer, to invite Peter to his house and listen to Peter's good news. Peter understands that God shows no partiality. The Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles who believed God's word. And the believers from, from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured, out, was poured out even on the Gentiles. Peter acknowledged God's plan of salvation for Gentiles, but when he shared with Jews, we read in the book of Acts that the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. In Galatia, in, the book, in, in, in this letter, Peter was afraid of the same party and failed to be in line with the truth of the gospel. But Paul helped Peter to embrace the truth of the gospel. Maybe you ask yourself, why did the apostle Paul, Peter fail if he knew the truth? I think he wanted to be at peace with his culture, the circumcision party, and Jews, or he, he feared them. So he chose to behave against the truth of the gospel. This brings us back to Paul's second point of our study today, being justified by faith to be in sync with the gospel. Mark Baker, an author of Religious No More, mentions that humans are inclined to think they must do things to earn God's acceptance and approval. That is why they stay under the law of sin and they want to work hard not to sin. Unfortunately, we too sometimes state a doctrine of salvation by grace, but we live as if we earn our salvation by our works or traditions and force others to follow our thoughts and behaviors, or else, out of fear, we follow our culture or the world. Before we talk more about grace, I want you to observe how Paul deals with this issue of grace and sin. Paul himself shows grace while dealing with this issue. He bears Peter's burden and weakness and so fulfills the law of the Spirit and the law of Christ. He doesn't judge Peter, but reminds Peter to stay with the law of the Spirit and to be in sync with the truth of the gospel, which is the law of Christ. I always remind myself or those who want to enter Christ's servanthood leadership that our idea of being a leader is in vain without being humble under the law of the Spirit, which can change our behaviors and help us to synchronize with the truth of the gospel of grace, the law of Christ. And about our salvation through grace and not works, some people think those who talk about grace love to continue sinning, and that's why they talk about grace. As Romans says, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? To desire to continue in sin shows a misunderstanding of this abundant grace and a disrespectful for Jesus' sacrifice. Paul never encouraged others to sin. Instead, he warned people 
not to be under the law of sin. Throughout Paul's writing, we discover that salvation is only through God's grace, which is a gift of God and not the result of keeping the law of sin, but the law of Christ. Because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And also some people think now they are saved by grace and they can do whatever pleases their heart. Again, in Romans, Paul says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we learn that that salvation is not the result of good works, but the life of good works is the result of salvation. John Piper, a theologian, explains grace and salvation in this way. In order to be saved, we received the Spirit, and we now are alive. He said, I was dead, and you are dead apart from God. What God does then is take the blind, dead soul that has zero spiritual light or interest, and he opens the eyes, and what you see is Christ. And you cannot not receive him. So to not fail like Peter, we shouldn't forget that on the day of Pentecost, God revealed the truth of the gospel of grace to a great, to, to a great multitude of, from many nations, tribes, people and languages who were standing before the Apostle Peter. What we need to learn and apply in our life is that Christ and the Holy Spirit created, created the new multi-ethnic family of Christ who together live in sync with the truth of the gospel. So we must receive everyone who Christ sets free. Paul is also trying to remind believers that the Spirit is meant to truly transform believers so that all can embrace the gospel of grace as a multi-ethnic family. The word transformation will help us to understand that salvation is not only, that salvation is not the only achievements of God's grace. As the grace of God has appeared, as we see in, in Titus chapter 2, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Titus means is that we are not going to be perfect while we are living on earth. We will make mistakes as Peter did. But we understand that we are still growing and the Spirit is training us to practice godliness by living in sync with the gospel because our behavior must be in line with the gospel. We are not burdened by guilt. Instead, we live with the law of the Spirit and with the law of Christ. As the worship team is coming, I would like just to pray. Let us pray together. Father, help us to better understand the core truth of our faith and apply it to our own life. 
Please help us to understand the way that we run the church not just affects our local family in Christ, but it affects our other churches in the region too. Every day, Father, transforms us to become more like your son and help us to impact our family, others in our local church and other churches in our region. Please help us to love you, to love you, Lord, and our neighbors and live in sync with the gospel so that may non-believers see you in us and receive you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, may God give us a pure heart and a mindful soul. It is his cross and grace that gave us wisdom to understand our salvation. May we walk in the spirit of truth and love according to the law of Christ and live in sync with the gospel. God, teach us not to please ourselves or others by following the law of sin, but help us to behave in line with the law of the spirit and with the law of Christ. May God help us to pray always and cry out to him so that we could get rid of fear and pride and self-centeredness and embrace the truth of the gospel. So as we go home, let us continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit and live in sync with the truth of the gospel. God bless you.